My name is Dominique Drew, and this is The Art of Attraction, the premier podcast to elevate your relationships, your life, and yourself. I'm your host, Dominique Drew, an intuitive, a spiritual guide, and a seasoned expert in men's relationship coaching. I've used the methods in this podcast to completely transform my own life and relationships, and now, high performers in every industry hire me to help them do the same. Here, you will learn how to solve the issues in your inner world which keep you from real fulfillment, deep intimacy, freedom, and authenticity. Welcome to the next stage of your evolution. Hello, everyone, and we are live with The Art of Attraction with Domini Drew, and I am your host, Domini Drew herself. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited to present today's episode to you. Um, We have been going over the five personality patterns for quite some time. We're on number four today. Uh, Today, we are looking at the aggressive character. So this is The Art of Attraction. We study on here the subconscious ways in which we keep ourselves single or we push people away or we, um, in whatever way, create a kind of life that we don't want without even meaning to. And so this is profoundly powerful work. I've studied it myself for about 15 years and I'm a complete um, 180 from when I started, right? I used to be the biggest self-sabotager you've ever seen and not just in obvious ways, that you can sort of recognize, but really in really subtle ways, I had no idea I even had control over, you know, small things I did that caused people to not um, want to be around me or it just pushing people away, right? And I really sympathize with this aggressive character that we're going to study today. I'm also coming to you live on Facebook Live. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Andrew, Alex, John, welcome, welcome. Uh, I do broadcast these um, episodes live. I am live on Facebook. And uh, today is a call-in opportunity. So if you guys have a question about this particular um, topic or something related, go ahead and give me a call. Let's talk through it. Um, this is a way to um, to really get a chance to work directly with me, which is usually an investment of a, of a few thousand dollars. Um, or these days I'm doing individual sessions um, for just a few hundred. So if you have questions about that and you want to um, to reach out, please do. Okay. I just started doing individual sessions in the last uh, about month or six weeks. Uh, I wasn't available for that before. I don't know how long I'm going to keep doing them. I absolutely adore it. Um, so honestly, I might just carry on. Um, but it may be a limited time thing. Of course, this is a podcast. So, um, I'm, I'm recording this, um, on one time and you may be listening to it another, but please visit me at dominiedrew.com and, um, and you can get, you know, how I work and, and how it is to work with me there. Um, this is a process that you can read a lot of books about. You can, um, study, you can do little meditations, you can talk yourself out of things, but the fact of the matter is you really need someone else to help you to, um, to really make any real progress, okay? Um, It's just the way it is because what we're doing here is we're showing you what the screen is that you see life through, right? And you see life through the screen. So you don't know the screen is there. That's that's, That's the bitch of the screen, right? Is that you don't see it. And so to have someone else, a coach, um, someone who knows what the hell they're doing. And for this particular work, there's not that many people in the world 
that can do it. There are, I'm not the only one, but, but a, a regular, you know, mental therapist or a regular, um, you know, life coach or something like that is not going to have any idea about these types of levels. And they're not going to be able to hold the space to help you through it. So if you are really serious about accelerating your um, process, um, whether you're single and you're frustrated about it, or you're trying to start a business and it's not working, or you can only reach a certain level of success and you can't get past it, and you're ready to just blow those patterns out of the water, whatever it is, we can work through it. So um, visit dominiedrew.com and, uh, and, and reach out to me there and we'll, we'll find a way to get you in the works for you. All right, so let's dive in. So today we're looking at the aggressive pattern. Uh, in my training, uh, my four-year school, the Barbara Brennan School of Healing, it was called the, um, the psychopathic character structure. Don't let that panic you. If you recognize any of the, um, the tendencies in yourself, it doesn't mean you are a psychopath. It's a little bit of a misnomer. So I'm going to use the aggressive pattern more in my speech. But if I say this is what the psychopath does, that's why, because that's what my training um, uh, taught me initially. Same thing as last week, we studied the enduring pattern, right? People who just in- endlessly put up with shit. Um, and that's, that's their defense, actually. Putting up with it is a defense. Um, and, and in my school, that was called the masochistic character structure. Also, not the way we would normally use the word masochist. So, um, so well, it's, it's related to the way we would use the word masochist, but it doesn't, you know, it sort of elicits things like, oh my God, I'm a psychopath. You're not. Stay calm. But you may suffer from the, or you may uh, find yourself comfortable with the aggressive pattern. So what are these? These are patterns that um, we develop in childhood due to the way we were treated, a certain, um, certain patterns that happened, right? Certain patterns of behavior that we learned from our parents, things like that. So, you know, they're, they're not from bad parenting, okay? Every single person on the planet has one of these. Okay, so if this is yours, great. If not, try the other three episodes I've done or try the next week, which will be the rigid character, okay? Um, you know, we all use all of them, all right? But we like one or the other, right? We tend to, and if you're a fan of the show, you've heard me say this before, what we tend to do is each person is born with a certain set of skills or gifts. And what we do when we feel threatened or overwhelmed is we will tend to distort those gifts, right? And so we use our strengths to protect us. It's a natural thing. And so uh, the aggressive pattern has really incredible core qualities, okay? Um, they tend to be leaders. They tend to be passionate. They have a very distinct and strong sense of, of um, honor. Honor is a big deal for these particular, uh, for these particular people. This is... Um, uh, a, a character structure that I have used a lot. Um, I actually grew up more in the masochist or the enduring pattern. Um, and when I cleared my wounding from that, this one was was more of what I tended to use after. This doesn't mean that you're an aggressive person necessarily. It means that when you feel threatened, you react by fighting. Okay, fight, flight, freeze, right? Um, this person will fight. Somebody else who used a different pattern would rather be killed, <laughs> you would rather lose that fight than uh, react aggressively. It's just profoundly not in their, in their nature. But this person feels comfortable with it, okay? So keep in mind as you're listening, um, whether this might be you or whether this might be uh, someone you know, okay? Family member, et cetera. All right, let's dive in. So the aggressive pattern um, is one of the later 
um, patterns as far as when the wounding actually happens. And remember, this always happens, uh, a wounding of some kind. So don't worry about wounding your children. You are or you you have or you will. Um, and that's as it should be. So it's not something to be avoided. It couldn't be avoided if you tried. Um, and in this way, you know, we really... Um, we we learn, right? We experience the type of woundings that we can then learn the most from. So it's all intentional on a much, much deeper level. Okay. So right now I'm, I'm working with this book, The Five Personality Patterns by Stephen Kessler. And it's very much along the lines of what I've, um, what I learned and as well. And so I'm really just going through and kind of going into each, into depth, in, uh, into, uh, in depth uh, on each uh, personality pattern. So, <clears throat> so strength, focus, um, strong will, right? The aggressive, these are the core qualities of the aggressive. Um, they tend to be um, larger people, not necessarily physically, but they just have kind of a larger field. Um, they're very comfortable standing in their power. They easily claim their own space. Um, they're, as I said, very um, sensitive to honor. Um, they want to do the honorable thing. They, you know, honor means a lot to them. They stand in that very clearly. Um, and they're very creative, right? There are people who really show up in life. And this is something that he's, he's phrasing, which is great. Um, so these are people who show up for life and they expect others to do the same, right? They are intense, alive, aware, highly charged and engaged. Okay. So they have kind of that, um, you may be familiar with the warrior archetype, right? And this will, um, this will very much define this person, right? Um, they, uh, oh, this is interesting. He says they're able to fight for what they want and for causes they believe in. So there you can see the fighting is, is a natural gift, really. And fighting sometimes is. Sometimes you need to fight for what you believe in, Right. Um, and then, of course, the core quality gets distorted, and then they fight when it's not necessary. So um, he also says, this is interesting, he says, they can also fight just for the fun of fighting and not take it personally. I have a client who loves to do this. Um, and it's always looking for people to fight with. You know, he studied martial arts for all these years, and for him, it's just, it's a real game. And he feels, and this is really... Um, a great example of the reason why this character wants to fight. He feels engaged by those people. You know, he feels um, connected to them when they're fighting because fighting is his gift. That's what he's good at. And so when someone can really meet him on that level, it's really quite powerful for him. And so he really feels that connection. He's like, yes, come get me. You know, let's do this, right? He's like, like grappling. Like it's, um, it's enlivening for him, right? Um, Oh, here he says, and, and um, in case this is your fir the, the first time you're going through these five personality pattern episodes with me, um, I haven't read, I don't read these ahead of time. I just, I learned very much the same information. So I sort of glance through and any way that he can kind of compliment what I'm saying, I'm, I'm bringing that in. But here he says, um, they have a sense of honor. They're courageous, resourceful, and even loyal if it serves their purpose. Good hunters and trackers. And um, not just, you know, in, in the wild, but they'll see something they want and they'll go get it. And how great is that, right? Speaking as someone who was never that person until the last few years of like, I want that. I'm going to go get it. I was a person who was like, I don't really know what I want. Uh, I don't know how to get it. Uh, and it was just like years and years. 
And I remember, that's funny, I remember my brother saying to me once, um, who, who was very much clearer than I was. And, and I was, remember, I was the, the enduring pattern, which is very much not clear. Their gift is not clarity. The psychopath, the aggressive character, um, is the, has a gift of clarity. They're very clear. They know what they want. They know what they don't want. I was never that person. Now I am because I, I healed that um, enduring pattern wounding right? I healed the masochist wounding that I, that I grew up with through the work that I now teach. And so it's not there anymore. I don't feel that anymore. It doesn't come up every once in a while. It's, it's flat out gone. Um, and, uh, and then when that was cleared, I became, uh, you know, it sort of revealed my, uh, uh, a different, you know, then the next level down was the aggressive for me. And so I became a lot more clear and now I'm a lot more clear. So anyway, at some point, my, I remember back in the day when I was very, very unclear and had no idea what I wanted or how to get there or, you know, there was just, there was just none of it. And I remember my brother saying to me, he said, Domini, decide what you want. Write that shit down and do something that moves you towards it every single day. And I remember thinking how easy that sounded. And yet there was no way I could have done it. So I address, and this is what I help people do is, you know, you're spending life, your life trying to get to somewhere and you're, and you're swimming through all the resistance that's between you and that thing, right? And it's a lot of resistance. And instead, another option is to clear the resistance, to focus on the resistance rather than on the, 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 the goal, like what is blocking you? Huh, I know I want to build this business and yet I woke up today and all I want to do is sit on the couch and watch TV. I wonder why that is. And I, I have a process that can help you like to when those moments come up to just like go inward and actually talk to the resistance, which provides incredible clarity and, um, and, and, and understand what it is and address it directly. What that then does is allow you to remove the resistance rather than trying to swim through it to achieve your goals, right? I want a happy relationship, but it seems like everything's working against me. In that case, you're either A, not interested in a great relationship, which is fine, and you're fighting uphill for something you think you want, but isn't actually accurate, or B, there's something going on that is working against you right? So my area of expertise is in a way in self-sabotage, but deep subconscious self-sabotage, right? There's, there's something that you want, a great relationship, but there's something that's stronger. that's keeping you away from it. And you know there's something stronger because you don't have a great relationship because you don't have what you want. Or maybe you have a great relationship, but what you really want is a great career, but you don't have it. That means something stronger is holding you back from it. Okay. So inside yourself, you've got one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake and you're not fucking going anywhere. Okay. This is the art of life, right? This is how, this is how it works. So, um, back to the aggressive pattern people. So they're natural leaders. Um, they'll take charge in the situation, if the situation requires it, or if no one else is stepping up, I find that I do that. If, uh, if I'm in a situation and it's chaotic and no one's taking the lead, like I won't like jump, like I don't particularly want to lead. 
um, in every situation, although I really do enjoy leading. Here I am, I run a coaching business. I, I coach people every week. I do individual sessions. I, I lead, well, it's not really leading, it's more facilitating, but you know, it's that, it's that authority role. I'm very comfortable in the authority role. Um, and that has actually always been true about me. Um, I've always been a teacher, right? No matter what I learn, I tend to teach, right? So I rode horses for 25 years. I used to teach that. Um, I'm a tango instructor. Um, I got certified in nonviolent violent communication. I started coaching, um, you know, my healing work. It's like I always want, whatever I get passionate about, I learn to teach. That's like, that's just authentically what I tend to do. So natural leader. So you can see how that, that was underneath, even though the masochistic defense was on top of it, I was always a natural leader. Um, oh, and so what I was saying is if there's a chaotic situation uh, and no one is stepping up, I will naturally say, well, why don't we all go over here? Because it seems like that's where the exit is or, you know, whatever. So, um, these people, he says, uh, generate energy and initiate action. They're bold, effective, and entrepreneurial. When they see new opportunities, they take them. They are adventurous, fun, and ready to try new things. So you can hear that there's that natural confidence, right? Which if you're someone who struggles with confidence, probably just sounds like the motherland, you know? Like, oh my God, yes, mother's milk. They are interesting, juicy, passionate people who usually have lots of stories of their amazing adventures, and they seek high stimulation. The key to shifting into the gifts of the pattern is in discovering that they are not alone, but held by something larger, stronger, and loving. This allows them to come out of the fight-or-flight response and to relax into that holding love and reopen their heart. Okay. He's got some exercises in here, um, which are quite useful. So let's talk about the origins of the aggressive pattern. So <clears throat> the, the, the core wounding of the aggressive pattern is around trust. Okay. Um, often they are stereotypically, typically, there's a tendency anyway, um, typically they experience a betrayal of some kind from their parents. Okay. That's sort of the initial childhood wounding. Um, when they needed help, no one was there for them and they had to survive by sheer force of their own will. Okay. So their basic story is this. They were in a situation that felt life-threatening, but no one was there for them. So they used their own will to fight their way through. Now they're stuck in the fight-or-flight response, constantly scanning for threats to their survival and fighting their way through life. Anybody resonate with that? right? There's no, there's no, there's nobody to help. It's all me. I'm alone. And so, well, I guess I'll do it then, right? Who, and, and, and so many people had this experience when they were kids. They felt let down by their parents in some way. And so they, they just do it themselves. Bria says, this sounds like my childhood on Facebook Live. I, I agree. It's mine too. You know, my parents got divorced and they were damaged emotionally. They couldn't support me. So I did it and I became the counselor, right? I became the, um, the healer, right? Here we are again, my natural gift. Naturally, if you leave me in a uh, vacuum, I will be a healer because that's naturally what I want to do. And so that's my gift. So you, you, your gift is what you do effortlessly. And I mean 
effortlessly, like without even thinking. You know, I'm that person my friends come to for help. I was that person when I was five, you know? Um, Bria says I became a people pleaser too. I absolutely did the exact same thing. I actually <clears throat> used to have real body image issues. I was profoundly insecure and wanted to make everybody happy. And the underlying belief for me was that um, if you love me, then I'm safe, right? I knew that if my mom loved me enough, she would stay and take care of me. Uh, naturally, I, I, I'm a loving person. And so I distorted that as a defense. Everything can be a defense. Here's the, here's the um, cliff notes, right? doesn't matter what you do in life. It matters how you do it. No action is right or wrong. It's the, it's the um, intention behind it. So loving, quote unquote, because it's not real love, but the act of loving became a defense. Bam, people pleaser. I need you to like me. I never stopped to think whether or not I liked them. This actually came into clarity for me very early on in my process. I started this work when I was about 19, about 16 years ago. And I've done it intensely and consistently since then because it fucking works. So all my issues were like, were like coming up. All my issues were, were getting solved one after another. So I just kept fucking going. Like, why not? Like, this works. I'm going to keep, I'm going to do more. How, how good can it get? Right. And I kept going and going and it got better and better. And I remember I was, I was in a workshop, a retreat of something, and I was walking on a path towards someone and someone else was walking the other direction towards me. And I looked up and I smiled. And I said, hi or whatever. And I can't remember if she responded and she, and she passed me and left. And it occurred to me in that moment that I hadn't stopped and thought to ask myself whether or not I wanted to smile, whether or not I felt like smiling, whether or not that person even elicited a smile in me. It was on autopilot. And that's how I knew it was a defense, right? Yes, my core quality is, is, is loving. I will naturally gear that way. But if you're doing it on default, if you're on autopilot, that is when it's a defense, right? We're doing the aggressive character. You know, if you're fighting, you know, you're already, um, you're already strong. You're already good, you know, geared toward fighting. You'll fight for your loved ones. You'll fight for causes. You know, fighting's not necessarily a bad thing, right? But when you fight on autopilot, then you push people away because it's coming out. You don't even mean to, right? That's how you know it's an underlying defense, right? So yes, the, Bria says, I only feel safe if someone says they love me. So that, that people pleaser mask came on. And essentially what I was doing is I was trying to make sure I was safe. So I would um, take responsibility for the feelings of others. No, 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 no. That's not kindness. That's not love. That's not uh, selflessness. That's a defense. It's a bitch of a defense because it's quite socially acceptable. So people don't call you on it. Whereas if you're kind of like bitchy and you're aggressive all the time, people will be like, man, she's kind of bitchy and aggressive. You're like, yeah, it's a little bit easier to see that one, right? Mine was lovely. Oh, I'm just lovely all the time. Of course, I wanted to kill myself at 17. <clears throat> no exaggeration. Because I was miserable, because I was dismissing myself and not, and not honoring me, I was honoring the other instead. I was taking responsibility for them. That is not my role. That is never my role. It's not even my role with my clients. I don't take responsibility 
they come to me and say, I want to learn, you know, I want to fix this. I go, great. I can show you the way. If they go that way, they get the results. If they don't, they don't. I'm, I'm okay either way. My happiness is not dependent on that, right? I have no agenda for them. I can't or the, or the work doesn't work. So another thing on that mask, and then I'll come back to the aggressive character, is that while I was taking responsibility for everybody else's problems, uh, I had a lot of extra weight on my body. I was always heavy, 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 heavy. I grew up, uh, and no matter what I did, it was a type of weight you just couldn't lose, right? There was no way, right? And then I stopped taking responsibility. And this was through very profound work because again, as, as Bria said, it's like, um, you know, you, you, you do it to feel safe, which means to stop doing it, you start feeling, you, it feels very unsafe. You're risking dying because that is the mentality with which the pattern was started. And so it just carries through from when you're a childhood. This is how the things that happen when you're in your childhood affect your day-to-day because you carry them through. When you stop carrying them through, you let them go and they dissolve quite effortlessly. And so, um, and so I, I risked, I was like, oh my God, if people don't love me, I'm going to die. I had to risk death. This is an intense process. These things are deep. If they weren't deep, you would be able to get rid of them by reading books. They're in you. That's okay. They're not conscious. That's okay. I can show you how right? This is the art of life. This is the, um, the practice of seeing what's really there that you haven't been aware of previously and addressing it. Good news is it's all in your control, which means it's fixable. So once I started losing and, and taking responsibility, the weight fell off because I wasn't holding all of that. I wasn't, I wasn't holding you know, it was creating like a padding around me to protect me. And once I realized I didn't need that anymore, it fell off and it's never come back since. So this affects, when I say I'm 180 degrees from when I started this process, this work affects every single level of you. And you have so many levels. And you're aware of like 5% of them. So the more you can become aware of, 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 of the, the, the layers that you have, the more rich, the more you can manifest, the more rich your life becomes, the more life you can live. And that is the goal. So the aggressive character. So we talked about how um, the aggressive character had a traumatic childhood um, something happened. They needed help. No one was there for them. Yeah. And they had to survive by the sheer force of their own will. Okay. They were in a situation that felt life-threatening. No one was there for them. So they, own, they used their own will to fight their way through. Now they're stuck in the fight or flight response, constantly scanning for threats to their survival and fighting their way through life. So so as children, right, they started being, they were incredibly sensitive. That's all, that's always the case when you're very, very young. Um, and they were able to develop will, strength, and autonomy, right, in those early age. So they've got that fine. And then when they encountered the next big question, can I trust you? Can I depend on you? 
Are you consistently there for me? Am I safe in your care? This, Kessler says, is where the train wreck happened. Perhaps only once, but probably repeatedly. There was some situation that was so overwhelming that they feared they might die, right? There's the fear of death I was just talking about. And no one was there for them. Just imagine what that must be like. My life is in danger and I'm all alone. No one, no one, I can't trust anyone. But because this wounding happens at a little bit of a later age, right? They're they're not babies when this happens. They have the strength and the resources to rely on themselves. And so they do, right? But they do so by sort of going into hyperdrive, right? So they summoned their own will and strength, he says, and they willed themselves through it. And so how did they do this? So this is interesting. Let's see what he says here. He says, they disconnected their awareness from their fears, needs, and vulnerability. They did not yet have the capacity to actually take care of their own needs, right? Because they're not adults yet. They're still children. Um, to soothe their own fears and buffer their own vulnerability. So they split off their needs and buried them deep in their unconscious. To keep them buried, they contracted their psyche and their muscles They armored themselves. That's an interesting perspective. I hadn't thought of it that way. That's new for me. And now they've had a whole new set of experiences. So first, they felt terrified, right? There's terror in the beginning. Two, they got big and tough. Three, they handled it. Four, they felt invincible. And then the belief is created. I need to be invincible. So you can see how the wounding happened. They disowned their needs, inflated their will and their strength. They handled it because they could and their core quality is strength. They got it. They felt invincible. Holy shit, that worked. And then there's that little piece at the end where the belief forms. Not just like, wow, I did a really good job. It's, I have to do this. I need to be invincible. And from that new set of experiences, they drew a series of conclusions. Here it is. No one is there for me. No one cares. I'm alone. I have to handle it all by myself. I will handle it all by myself. I can make it happen. It's only a matter of will. So... And obviously this, this is a, it's a defense, right? It's not, it's not reality. The fact of the matter is life involves vulnerability, right? You can't just go through it with no needs. That's, it's inaccurate. You're a human being, right? <clears throat> so they've disowned their vulnerability and their needs, um, but they've really buried them, right? So that they don't have to feel how painful it's been. And so they're still very scared, but unaware of it. And now their system can easily be triggered back into that shock and trauma. When that happens, it happens fast. A big wave of fear hits their system and they are right back in in the fight for survival. So they never learn to turn to other people for help. They never learn to lean on other people and trust that they'd be there. They've not learned to escape or endure to feel safer. What they have learned is not to trust, love, and connection. 
and that the only thing they can trust is their own strength and will. They now have the conviction that I have to take care of myself because I'm alone. No one is there for me. I must always be invincible because if I am vulnerable, I will not survive. So I'm just going to read that again. I have to take care of myself because I am alone. No one is there for me. I must always be invincible because if I'm vulnerable, I will not survive. So it's not just like, oh, open your heart. It'll be fine. They truly, powerfully, completely, and utterly, just the way Bria and I were talking about our people-pleasing thing, that's based on survival. This is the same. If I am vulnerable, I will not survive. They face death every time. They let themselves be vulnerable. Now you can understand why the people who fight, fight. What the child who develops the aggressive pattern has learned, Kessler says, is that he must fight for what he needs because no one is going to take care of him or protect him. Fighting is what will make things better. Not trusting, not depending on others. Fighting. So, it's not just like, oh, a person has trust issues, like, you know, they need to get over it. It's like, this is just, this is just, you know, facing death, right? And so, let's do a little bit on what it is that causes this in the beginning. So these these patterns are formed by the interaction, right, between the child and their environment, right? Um, so this, so first in this situation, let's consider the child. He says, this is a willful, high-energy child, right? Low-energy compliant children do not develop the aggressive pattern. Um, that's what we talked about earlier, where you, you use your gifts to uh, to distort into defenses, right? You don't just make them up. It's not like you know, somebody who's, who's submissive and, and soft and kind will just become a fighter. Like, they're not a fighter, so they don't use that to, to survive. Um, so there's two ways that the, that the, that the uh, parents, the way the parents behave may cause this pattern. Um, one possibility is the pattern, the parents cannot hold and contain the child's energy. They collapse in the face of the child's tantrums and give in. As this child repeatedly wins the fights and gets what he wants, he concludes that fighting works. Naturally, he'll consider continue the pattern. And he'll like feeling big enough and strong enough to do whatever he can to maintain that sense of self. However, he will also feel alone, right? The experience of being able to overpower his parents is disorienting and unnerving for a child. It takes away his sense that there is something larger keeping him safe. Okay, so essentially when he can overpower his parents, he's alone in the world. The second is, uh, and that's love without power, and the second is power without love. The second possibility is that parents, the parents do have the strength to hold the child's energy, but they cannot stay connected and loving while wielding that strength. So instead of the helping the child process his frustration and manage his own energy, they use force to crush it right? They know they need to overpower the child. The child is incredibly willful, and so they have to get even stronger in order to, cr- to hold that space for them, right? 
So whenever he opposes them, they turn the disagreement into a fight and defeat him. Does this ring any bells for anybody? So these are authoritarian parents who believe that opposition from their child is defiance, and to maintain their authority, they must stamp out the child's opposition, even if that requires violence. It's very likely that when these parents were young, they were themselves attacked by an authoritarian parent. So that is the only model they know and know and one they automatically default to under pressure. Now, when their own child challenges them, their buried rage from their own mistreatment bubbles up, often in the form of a thought like, how come you get to do that? I never got to do that. Right? <clears throat> they may have sworn to themselves they would never treat their own children this way, but the rage buried within them is powerful. And now they are, and now here they are, reacting just the way their own parents did. It also could be, I'm not sure if he goes into this or not, um, parents who are who are insecure. And so that in feeling the weakness or in feeling that the child is superior in some way, they lash, they um, rise up and have to defeat the child. Uh, a third scenario that tends to create the aggressive pattern is one in which the, ch- the love the child received was then used to manipulate. Okay, here's the betrayal piece. This typically involves an authoritarian parent of the same sex and a manipulative parent of the opposite sex. If the child is male, this would typically be an authoritarian father and a manipulative mother. Okay, often seduction is involved in this as well. That seduction isn't necessarily physical, although it can be, but it's um, it's definitely energetic. It's like, oh, fall in love with me. You know, these the, the people who grew up to be in the psychopathic structure are like ones who are often like daddy's little girl um, or, you know, mommy's, mommy's little man, right? They're, they're, um, there's a dynamic wherein... <clears throat> The child, and he may go into this later, I'm not quite sure, but the child, um, so there's a, a, a male child and a mother and a father, and the child falls in love with the mother um, in a kind of an inedible way, um, but then sees, uh, sees it as a betrayal when the parents stay together, right? Like, like, like his mother chose his father over him, and there's an inherent be- betrayal. And like, there's no way to win here, right? Like, you can't... <laughs> You know, you're not going to divorce your your uh, your husband and 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 marry your child, right? But that's in in a way what this child desires, just by virtue of you know feeling that special connection. So when you're like mommy's little boy, right, your daddy's little girl, and then daddy doesn't leave mom to to, to choose you. So you see how there's there's an impossible. You know, parent can't win here. The kid just feels these feelings and then ends up inevitably being betrayed. Okay. <clears throat> Um, if the child is male, this would, uh, sorry, the, the usual story is that before marriage, the mothers idealized the father's strength and authority. She admired him and felt protected by him. But as the years passed and their quarrels became more violent, she rejected him and turned to her son for love. Or it may have been that as the kids were born, she paid more attention to them. Her husband felt jealous and the fights began. In either case, her idealization of her husband was replaced by disillusionment and rejection. She then transferred her idealization onto her son and constricted constricted him into being her replacement emotional husband. Right. Um, Here we go. (laughs) This is so funny. One of the reasons I decided to do these these weeks is because this book is so aligned with the work that I, I learned. So here he says, she told him, I haven't read this yet, but she told him that he was mommy's little man and implied that he was somehow better than his father. Without ever bringing sexuality into the picture, she seduced him into becoming her emotional husband. She praised him, confided in him, 
er, and used him to meet her own emotional needs that were no longer being met by her husband. The boy in this scenario, this is important, thinks that he's being big and strong and important because that's what mom tells him. But in fact, his childhood is being stolen from him. While he's busy trying to be mom's emotional husband, he's not able to be a child and to work through the developmental tasks he faces. He's not able to integrate his newfound power into his sense of love and connection with his parents. He doesn't feel held and contained energetically by his parents. Instead, he feels like an equal to mom and superior to his dad. So you can see how this type of um, distortion, uh, even though it's it's love, is um, uh, it just it distorts <clears throat> the dynamic between the three of them. And so, um, and so they become defensive. Right? They have a need for dominance and control. If you can't trust others to take care of you, what do you do? How do you survive? This pattern solution is to become powerful enough to take care of yourself, to will yourself into being able to be there for yourself. This means inflating yourself while controlling yourself, others, and the situation. <clears throat> the child attempts to control himself by devaluing and denying his own feelings and needs. His mind turns against his body and its feelings, closes his heart and splits off and renounces his needs. It uses scorn and contempt to suppress all needs, weaknesses, fears, and dependency. <clears throat> and then the, he transfers that energy into his will and strength. In order to control others in the situation, he takes an aggressive stance toward the world. Instead of asking for what he needs, he demands it. He relies on intimidation and force <clears throat> rather than on cooperation to get what he needs. You find this a lot um, politically in the conservative side. It tends to be more fear-based or control-based, not exclusively all the time, but generally than cooperation-based, at least in, in the United States. And so what he does is this enormous uh, exercise of will. He brings his will, his, his um, energy up more to inflate like a, like a peacock, right? Like getting really big. And he tends to lose contact with his body because, his bo because in order to be in touch with your body, you need to sort of soften and he's unwilling to do that. And so there's so much, um, there's so much to fear, weakness, neediness, loss of control and surrender in any, uh, in any form. But since those feelings are, are suppressed, he um, defaults to dominance and control, okay? So body signs, the way you know if you're an aggressive uh, character is you tend to have um, uh, the V shape, right? Larger, um, wider shoulders than hips, okay? Because your energy is always being brought up to your back. Where your energy goes, the physical always follows the energetic. And so when your energy, um, uh, you know, if you're all, you're, whatever defensive pattern you have, you have a different physical body. And the reason is because you run your, your energy defensively through whatever, and uh, your physical body then follows that. It's also why the, as you do the work and you shift the way you run your energy, your body changes. So that's why my body changed, right? Because before I was doing one thing and I carried the, very much the body pattern of the uh, enduring pattern. And now if I were to stand up, you would see that my shoulder, you know, my, my body has changed such that there's a, a, a little bit of a V, right? So I tend to have, um, I have a wider shoulders than I have hips. Okay. <clears throat> 
So, um, so here's the, the V-shape, he says, with broad, strong shoulders, narrower hips. Uh, legs tend to be thinner and weaker than would be proportionate. Um, person has a strong core, but it's a defended core. It's not open and relaxed. He doesn't rest onto his core and just let it support him. Instead, there's a constant inner tension. A tension so habitual he does not perceive it or imagine he could relax. Eyes tend to be compelling. Uh, the tension in the core shows through in his eyes as a watchful, distrustful quality. Tense and alert. Okay. And so he's stuck in this fight or flight. So the beliefs um, we said were, I'm all alone. There's no help. Abuse is normal. It's all a matter of will. I have to do it all myself. Rules are for other people. Only the strong survive. It's a jungle out there. Sound familiar, right? These are the people who carry this. Okay. If there's a fear of vulnerability, fear of depending on others, fear that their needs are too big, fear that they are bad inside a frozen terror. And they have psychological defense, active aggression, right? Charm. These people tend to be quite charming. There's another defense. Um, they'll project onto others. They'll objectify. That will show up in sexuality. They will um, self-idealize, right? I'm the best. They will devalue others or they will devalue love and connection. So. Um, and they're they're always guarded. There's a, there's always a guarding type of feel, okay. And so, and so they recreate their early wounding, right? And I want to talk about this because if this is resonating for you, this is how you recreate um, what it is that you um, experienced when you were young. So, um, as with all the survival patterns, aggressive pattern people tend to recreate their own early wounding by the very things they do to try to keep themselves safe. This is something absolutely everybody does. There are specific ways that they um, recreate their old feelings of abandonment and betrayal. The first is by being so controlling and demanding that they make others want to get away from them, thereby recreating their abandonment. So <clears throat> I started out this episode saying, um, uh, you push people away. You push people away without realizing. Wouldn't you like to know that thing you do that pushes people away? That's the real question, right? Wouldn't you like to know that thing you do? So they recreate. This is what we do. This is why this work's important. Otherwise, it should be like, oh, I guess I can fix some things. It's like, no, no, no. You're consistently recreating. <clears throat> Sorry. You're consistently recreating this situation. It's making you miserable. That's why you do the fucking work. So, and whatever you're, is making you miserable is one of these kinds of recreations, whether it's aggressive patterned or not, right? So they, they respond with their lack of trust by being controlling and demanding. <clears throat> that pushes people away. Recreating their abandonment. Or they may angrily challenge decisions made by others, especially decisions to leave them. That's not going to bring someone back, is it? Knowing that they will not be allowed to leave without a fight, others may then arrange some sort of deception to cover up their exit, which, of course, recreates the experience of betrayal in the person who runs the aggressive pattern. Um, they can also do it by inflating themselves and using their size and energy to intimidate others. Naturally, anybody who feels intimidated then sees them as being too much. I used to be seen as being too much all the time. Maybe I still do. I don't know. <laughs> 
Um, they also may recreate that wounding by the way they deal with their own needs, right? Most of the time they pretend that they have no needs, so the, per- the people around them have no practice in meeting their needs and are used to thinking of them as not even having any, right? If you walk around in life with the underlying belief that I have no needs, then people are not going to be very sensitive to your needs. They're going to assume that you're fine, right? Then... When the aggressive pattern person finally does realize that he has a need that's so big he can't handle it by himself, when he does need help, then the need is huge. And when the others can't meet his huge need, his fears are confirmed. Once again, his needs are too big and the capacity of others is too small. Once again, there's no help and he has to find a way to handle everything all by himself. His belief is confirmed. And as the old bitter disappointment arises once again, he says, yep, I knew I couldn't trust you. This is what the entire thing is about for me. It's how are you recreating what happened to you as a child and making your adult life miserable? Could be miserable 2% of the time or it could be miserable 80% of the time. You're probably somewhere in the middle. Regardless, it's fixable, right? That's what this is about. If people see you as too much and, and it's totally, you know, you're, you're there protecting yourself and you're screwing yourself. And so these are those underlying patterns. This is the self-sabotage, right? When you um, protect yourself and try to, to when, when you protect yourself and refuse to trust, then you give people the impression that you don't need to, I mean, this is, this is very well this is, this is very well laid out, right? You're either so controlling and demanding that you push people away thus recreating your abandonment or you're you're used to being too much and you're inflating and using your size to intimidate and thus giving the people the impression that you are in fact too much or they pretend they have no needs and so they either, people either assume that they don't and then they feel, you know, abandoned and like they can't, um, that others won't help them or they save it up for so long that by the time they have a need, it's huge and people can't help them enough, and then they prove themselves right. And so life is just one continuous um, experience of proving yourself right, and you don't even realize it, right? And so, and so what's the way out of this? Oh, and testing. There's a lot of testing, too. They test themselves. They test others. I want to see if I can do it. You know, I want to see if she's going to still love me when X and Y and Z happens. Oh, my God. And that was the other piece that he just mentioned that was so great. The betrayal, Right? If, they're, if you're being intimidating and somebody needs to leave you and you're not making open space where they can leave you, then they're going to try and cover up, <clears throat> cover up the leaving. And then, you know, sure enough, there you are. There's your betrayal. Big deal. That's a big deal. You are creating whatever it is that you are experiencing in life. You are creating it on some level. This is one way out of a shit ton. So self-awareness is not just like a, oh boy, it sure would be great if I could be more self-aware. It's like, uh, this solves your life problems because you don't even realize you're, you're creating your life problems. But the way you speak will, will show you. Um, watch the episode or listen to the episode I did on images, okay? Images are beliefs that we, um, uh, that we form, that form when we're young. And these images are like these broad statements like women can't be trusted, right? No one's, no one's ever there when you need them or, or no one's ever there enough when you need them. And when you say things, no one, women, people, men, men always blank, 
Men don't want to commit. Women always want to commit. Um, money is the root of all evil. It's a jungle out there. These huge fucking wild statements, they aren't true. They're your experience. But what you don't realize is your experience is super biased. Super biased. It's not aligned. It's not accurate. You're not seeing the world for what it is. And so when you make those statements, however you have the impression the world is, is created by you. The world is all and none of those things. It's irrelevant. All that's relevant is what you think it is because that shows you what you believe and that points to your screen. And that screen is causing people to leave you, causing you to not have enough money, causing you to not be happy enough, causing you to not feel fulfilled, causing you to be betrayed, causing you to be left, um, causing you to be ignored, causing you to be betrayed, projected upon, um, rejected, um, lonely. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on. And so, um, and so this, this is, this, this is it, right? Um, and, and the aggressive pattern, right? There's also a real difficulty with apologizing, right? Um, the aggressive pattern person has a really hard time apologizing because to apologize means to give up, to lose the fight, to admit that they're wrong. It doesn't matter whether they're wrong or not. The fact of the matter is they can't say it, right? And, and that's a really big deal. It's not like, oh, get over it. Just learn how to apologize. It's like every time they apologize from the heartfelt, you know, they have to open, they have to feel, they have to surrender. What are we talking about today? Fighting. What's the last thing you want when you're a fighter? To fucking surrender. That means loss. It means death. It means death. If you're in a relationship with that person, it may sound ridiculous, but the fact of the matter is that to apologize would equal death. In their psyche, that is true for them. Doesn't matter if it's true for you. It's true for them. And so, and so what it comes down to is the art of giving up the fight. And the art of surrender. That's another program I think I'm going to create. <clears throat> I have to write that down. Um, the art of surrender. So the healing response to the aggressive character, right? The one who always has to be right, who's always in control, who has trouble trusting, letting people in, being intimate, surrendering to life, allowing life, is no competition. That's it. When you're in an argument with one of those people, don't try and win. Don't try and engage them. Don't try to counter their point. They will win. They are winners. <clears throat> they are bred to win. They have to win. Their survival's on it. And yours probably isn't. Don't worry about it. Change the conversation. There's no competition. Well, I think this, 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 this about, you know, whatever. Okay. You might say, I disagree, or you may not. I'd leave it, you know? No competition is a place where they have a healing response where you could be like, yeah, I really hear you. Yeah, that, that seems to really upset you. Tell me more. You see how there's nothing they can fight against? I had a teacher um, early on in uh, the Pathwork School, actually, and she was a teacher, a school teacher, I think, out of, uh, you know, when she wasn't doing teaching Pathwork. And I remember she said, um, 
I remember she said when parents came in to talk about their kids, they'd get really defensive. And what she would do is instead of getting defensive back, she would take a minute. She'd be like, I'm sorry, can we just take a real a moment here? I'm finding myself getting defensive. I'm starting to feel defensive. It was a statement about her. And they would take a breath. And she said every time, even though she didn't say sit on back and take a breath because that wouldn't have gone over well. She goes, can we, can we take a minute? I just want to take a breath here. I'm starting to feel a little defensive. And they would, you know, their bodies would, would sit back in the chair, right? Because you, you lean forward, your, your, your energy comes forward when you're in the aggressive pattern, right? And when you're fighting for your kids, something you believe in, don't fucking talk to me about my kid, right? <clears throat> it's fine, perfectly natural. The way to diffuse it is that no competition. I'm noticing I'm getting a little defensive and suddenly they take a breath and they lean back in their chairs and they are more suddenly more receptive to um, what she's saying. And so it was this great way of, um, of not uh, engaging and by getting around that pattern, okay? So getting yourself out of the aggressive pattern, okay? Um, when you realize you've gone into it, your first job, Kester says, is to get yourself out of the pattern and back to being present, right? The survival pattern is distorting your perception, your experience. That's true for all of the patterns. Um, here's the signs that you're in it, okay? You're throwing energy at others. You feel a need to dominate others or be really right. I'll just add that in. You're in fight or flight, revved up to fight. Yeah, that's a little misleading what he says there, that you're in fight or flight. You're not in flight, you're in fight. Fight or flight. Um, flight will be the leaving pattern. Those, those people are scared and they will leave energetically. This person will not leave energetically. They will engage. So I think by him, what he means there is the fight or flight mode as a general thing, but it's not, it's not flight. This is very distinctly fight. This person will fight. Um, you're referencing only your strength and will. And the solution is you need to connect with something lover, loving that is bigger and let it hold you. Okay. So he talks about bending your knees, take a deep breath, focus your attention inside yourself. Are you feeling fear, hurt, shame? Shift your attention down to your connection with the earth. Feel into the earth. Feel your connection with it. Send the anger and hurt down to the earth. Ask the earth to send support and safety up to your body. Open up to that and receive it. That's an interesting recommendation on his part. Um, that's going to be tough to do when you're in the aggressive pattern. I'm not going to lie. I mean, all those things will work, but I'm not sure I'd recommend it only just because that's going to be really hard in the moment. Um, but, but the healing of it is accurate. The, those people need to feel safe by being held, contained, and protected by something bigger than they are. Okay? Um, something stronger and more capable. And within this safety, they need to have all parts of them accepted, valued, and reflected back, especially the small, weak, needy parts. This is what will restore their trust in others. Okay? Um, seek out experiences um, where you, you need to trust others and practice. Okay? Um, when someone does not betray your trust, notice that. Because when someone does, you'll be like, oh my God, people always... I'm going to stop you right there. You're out of reality, right? That's okay, but you're out of reality. So um, you're going to get big and aggressive and rah, rah, and start a, and start a fight. So instead, look for the places where the trust wasn't betrayed. Wow, that went well. Okay, so sometimes it does go well. Okay, all right, I'm open to that. 
the times when you were contained, when you are contained, seek them out, right? Even if you're, you know, you're, you're totally alone and you, you want to go learn martial arts, right? Go find a, a teacher who can teach you. Even that is a container of safety, right? Of being held by something bigger. This person knows more than you are. They can hurt you and they're not going to. You, you're, you, there's a safety there, right? <clears throat> the more you can ground, the more you can reference your experience. <clears throat> Excuse me, honey. Of being safe, of trusting, of being held, that will counteract this pattern. Okay. In the moment, best thing I would say, honestly, is take some space. Don't rev up and like start the fight. Go away. Handle your anger, right? Um, You can hit a tennis racket, hit your bed with a tennis racket. I recommend my clients all do this. Um, Both hands straight up and down eyes open, you make noise and you just hit and it feels so good and you get your anger out. That's responsible expression of your anger. And um, and without that, you'll tend to throw it at others. That's what he means by throwing your energy around other people. And then you push people away and then you perpetuate pattern. So take some space. I can't talk to you right now. I need to go. I'll be back later. Done. Say that to a husband. Say that to a Friends, say that to anybody in your life that is is having this reaction with you, okay? That's eliciting this reaction. Don't send that text that you want to send. It's not going to go well. Don't do it. It's tempting because there's negative pleasure. You're like, I'm going to get them. It will push people away. You will be alone. It's not good, okay? So handle your emotions like an adult. Take the space you need. Use your words. I need to take some space right now. I don't want to talk about it. I'll come back later. And in that, you're like, that's, that's the adult response. Go, handle your anger, scream into a pillow. You can do this at work, go out to your truck, you know, uh, put, a, put a, a sweatshirt or whatever, or your shirt in it over your mouth and scream. Let it out. It's okay. It's good. There's nothing wrong with it. Just needs to be handled responsibly. Okay? So hopefully that gives you a really good idea of what this pattern is like, how to recognize when you're in it, how to recognize if it's you, why it started, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this is a really painful one. Okay. It's, um, it's, you know, it's, it's so hard to become vulnerable if you're so, if you've been tra- betrayed so many times, you don't want to be vulnerable anymore. Um, uh, you know, don't blame you, right? That's the nature of it. So, um, thank you so much for joining me. My name is Dominique Drew. Uh, this is the art of attraction. Um, please download, subscribe. <clears throat> I have, um, I think, over 60 episodes now. So a lot of episodes for you to listen to. Um, I'd love your feedback on them. Um, Thank you for joining me on Facebook Live. I appreciate it. Uh, Download, subscribe. If you're interested in really accelerating your work on this, then please check out some of my programs um, or schedule an appointment with me to speak one-on-one. You can do that at dominiedrew.com. Reach out there. I'll be happy to answer any of your questions. And I'll see you guys next week. Thanks so much for joining me, guys. Appreciate it. Bye. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Art of Attraction. This is Dominique Drew signing off and reminding you that if you love this podcast, please hit that subscribe button, rate us five stars, and most importantly, 
Share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. See you next time.